0: I almost said, and you're probably going to cut this since you're editing. He's talking about, you know, demonic possession and, and, you know, eyes turning black. And he said, what was that terrible movie? I almost said, Venom. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: not a terrible movie.
0: I'm going to get that in even though I know it's going to get cut. No, I'll
1: leave it in. I'll leave it in.
0: We can do this all day. Episode 22, Thor Ragnarok Review. Are you ready, partner?
1: Rock and roll, buckaroo.
0: Hi, this is Mark. And this is Emily. And And we we can can do do this this all day. day. A podcast where we review all the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll go through each film in the MCU chronologically and discuss our overall impressions. Things we liked, things we didn't like, and everything in between. We hope you'll tune in and stay with us till the end of the line. Hey, Emily. Hello. It's Friday. It's Friday again. Which means you and I are talking MCU stuff.
1: It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday.
0: Okay, uh, am I supposed to know that? What? Yeah, I'm.
1: You I'm, don't know Rebecca Black.
0: Who's Rebecca Black? I'm oh, 40. No. I'm 40, I'm 49.
1: Okay, and?
0: I'm ancient. I I told you. You know me well enough. I checked out of contemporary music as of like 1997 no
1: it's not even that it's not even that it's contemporary music
0: okay well when was it made
1: no it's not it's not about the time it's about the the vibe it was like a meme there i put it in our show notes you don't have to watch it now but i just want you to experience rebecca black friday
0: okay (laughs) where in the world were we going with that well welcome to the show everybody boy we're gonna have some cold open material Welcome to the show, everybody. No, I'm
1: keeping that right here.
0: I'm sure you are. That's not getting moved. That's staying right here. Emily's editing this one, so... Off the
1: rails immediately. (laughs) The only way to do a podcast.
0: (laughs) This is how we roll. We can do this all day is your home of (laughs) random weirdness and Mark being a total dope. Hi, I'm Mark Villa. Welcome to the show. As always, I'm joined by Emily Griswold. Emily, say hi again. (laughs) Hello again. We are rapidly working our way through phase three of the MCU. I can't believe, you know, it hasn't quite been two years since we first started this little adventure. and We are already up to Thor Ragnarok. We are moving very quickly into some very serious movie territory here. We're coming up on the big guns. Uh, in just a couple of episodes, uh, most notably Infinity War and Endgame. So, yeah, that's kind of surprising. I just can't believe that much time has passed. We finally, we're almost there. We are almost there at the big ones. And that we still have more to talk about even once those are done, which is amazing. Let's see. I think we do have a little bit of MCU news. Fire up the ticker tape machine. <laughs> Well the only thing we had really noteworthy to report on we finally got a release date for the ms marvel show on disney plus including a teaser trailer that show is going to drop on disney plus on june 8th 2022 it will be six episodes long just like most of the other shows have been thus far just a little point of trivia it will be the first mcu related anything to get a pg rating everything else has been like you know PG thirteen in the theaters or TV fourteen on the TV on Mar- on Disney plus, but they've got sort of a much more sort of kid and teen friendly vibe I think on Ms Marvel, which would probably explain the rating. So that'll be kind of interesting.
1: You know, what's not PG.
0: What's not PG? Moon Knight. Moon Knight is definitely not PG. We are you? Uh, how far are you caught up? I'm are caught you up. Real- yeah. Well, yeah. There are two episodes as of this recording, so we've seen them both. What's your opinion?
1: I really. I'm confused. I'm thoroughly confused, but I like it.
0: I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Obviously, it's too early to tell whether or not it's my favorite. I need to see all six episodes. Right now, I can't say that it's my favorite, but I am enjoying it. I think they, they're doing justice to the character in the comic book so far. There's a lot of weird stuff. If you don't have any familiarity with the comics, I can I can kind of see how you yeah, might be nothing. a little confused. I
1: have nothing except it's Oscar Isaac. And the vibe between Mark Spector and Stephen Grant kind of reminds me of Venom. <laughs> <laughs> I did it! We've been recording for 15 minutes, and I've already dropped my first Venom reference.
0: There, you're...
1: Welcome to the show.
0: (laughs) So there you go. Whoever that friend of Emily's is on Twitter who likes all of the Venom references, there you go. You get one really, really early in this one. Hope you're happy. Enjoy the show. But anyway, so we got uh, more Moon Knight coming up for another month. It's been a really interesting show. I'm enjoying it. But now, on to the main event. Time to talk some Thor Ragnarok.
1: I don't know why, but... When we started recording, all I had in my head was Enter Sandman. I know that's not the song from this. The song from this is Immigrant Song, Led Zeppelin. But in my head, I'm thinking Enter Sandman.
0: Well, I think any heavy metal kind of goes together with Thor. You think Nordic Vikings and Nordic gods who just go around bringing death and destruction and big swords and blood and stuff like that. Heavy metal seems like it would go hand in hand with Norse mythology in a lot of ways so we're here to talk some thor ragnarok tonight thor ragnarok opened in the u.s on november 3rd 2017. it stars chris hemsworth tom hiddleston kate blanchett idris elba jeff goldblum tessa thompson carl urban mark ruffalo and anthony hopkins the film was directed by taika waititi It was written by Eric Pearson, Craig Kyle, and Christopher L. Yost. Having only made a handful of independent films and TV shows in his native New Zealand up to this point, Taika Waititi was a bit of a bold choice by Marvel at that time, but apparently they were really impressed with his ideas for the film, and now he's almost a household name in cinematic circles. Whether it be as a director, a writer, or an actor, and his work now spans Marvel and Star Wars, as demonstrated by his work on The Mandalorian, as well as his indie cinema wheelhouse with films like JoJo Rabbit at the box office Thor Ragnarok had a budget of 180 million dollars and it grossed a whopping big 854 million dollars in box office receipts it may not have crossed the billion dollar threshold but it came pretty darn close and uh, you know 854 million bucks is still a lot of money It remains the highest-grossing Thor solo movie thus far. It's the 13th highest-grossing MCU film out of the 27, just ahead of Guardians of the Galaxy and just behind Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. The fourth movie, Thor Love and Thunder, is set to premiere in theaters on July 8th of this year, and it will be the first time there has been a fourth solo outing for an MCU character. I think it's a fantastic film. I think it's a great Marvel movie. It might even be a great Thor movie. I enjoy it quite a bit. It has a tight story. It's well acted. It has moments of humor and pathos. It's well paced. And yet, to some extent, it's not the Thor movie that I wanted at that point. You know, there are a lot of diehard Thor fans out there, fans of the comics, who strongly dislike this movie because A, they don't want a funny Thor, and B, it's not this, you know, full-on, super violent, Viking bloodbath of a movie that they might expect from something named after the Norse end-of-the-world myth. And I happen to know some of those fans, they actually like Thor the Dark World much more than they like Ragnarok for those very reasons. And, you know, while I don't dislike this movie, I, I like I said, I like it a lot, I do still kind of see their point. And so I, I do sometimes wish it were a little more serious. And frankly, maybe a little bit more violent would be nice. I'd like some humor in my superhero movies, but... Sometimes I feel like this film makes Thor look a tad buffoonish, you know, like when he throws the ball and it bounces back and hits him in the head in Hulk's quarters on Sakaar. Of course, you know, I've also had many people tell me outright that I'm not funny, so, you know, what do I know? (laughs) Anyway, if not for that awful final hour of Thor The Dark World, it would actually be higher on my list, you know, maybe even higher than this movie. And don't get me started on how they killed off The Warriors 3. That probably lowered my ranking more than anything else. But Chris Hemsworth, he was getting bored playing serious Thor, and he insisted on making a movie that featured him in a more comedic light. He's the driving force behind these films, so he got what he wanted, and you know, for most audiences, it worked. It was either that or you know, no more Thor.
1: I think it's interesting that you say this movie makes Thor look a tad buffoonish, because I think the other movies make him look more buffoonish. Because there are scenes in this movie where he's talking with Banner and they're talking about like high level, obviously he's considering it like Asgardian magic and Banner's talking about science, but they're at the same level intellectually for that moment when they're talking and he's clearly not an idiot. But I think this is one movie where like, yeah, he's funnier and there's more gags, but he's definitely not as stupid as he came off in the first two movies, I think, in this one. And that's why I liked it. I like that he's not a total idiot and I like that it's funny.
0: I mean, he comes off a lot in the first two movies as not smart. Maybe buffoonish was not the right word. I think what I sometimes... Well, no, I agree bris- with
1: you, though. I agree with you that the other two movies he came off as buffoonish, I don't think he comes off as buffoonish in this one.
0: Which is why maybe I should have changed... I should change that adjective. It's not maybe so much that he comes off as buffoonish. It's just, you know, for all the high thinking and the more serious-mindedness and the more mature he acts overall in this film... It seems like it's offset by those gags that they felt they had to put in. The bit with the ball hitting him in the head. The bit with him messing up the thing in in the Sanctum Sanctorum and him, you know, calling the hammer disguised as an umbrella and having it come and break everything in the Sanctum. And before Stan cuts his hair, he's kind of like screaming, no, no, no. And it just, you know, there's a few really patently silly moments in the film and i'm thinking okay come on really
1: (laughs) i i actually have a a note about the umbrella hammer sanctum thing from a different perspective so when we get to that okay i wrote something down about that because i actually liked that (laughs) naturally
0: naturally uh in terms of our rankings i have this movie At number 17 out of 27.
1: Right now, I have it at 9, which is just before the first Thor movie and just behind the first Captain America movie. And, of course, as we head into Infinity War and all of the newer movies, I think there's going to be a big shakeup. Because right now, Incredible Hulk is still my lowest ranked movie and it's only at number 20. So, we're going to need some space soon here because I don't think any of the newer movies are as bad as Incredible Hulk.
0: Well, it's funny you mention It's funny you mentioned lowest ranked movie, because we are rapidly, rapidly, rapidly approaching my lowest ranked movie. It'll be here sooner than you think. More on that at the end of the show. And now, on with our story. Two years earlier, Thor left Earth following the events of Avengers Age of Ultron in search of the Infinity Stones.
1: I gotta say, I kicked so much of Age of Ultron out of my mind. Did we know Thor was doing this? Did he say something during the movie?
0: Yes, he does. He tells Tony and Cap at the end that he's gonna go look for Infinity Stones right before he bifrosts away from the Avengers compound.
1: Ah, see, I wiped so much of that movie out of my mind.
0: Tony makes the quip about him not having any regard for lawn care or something like that. Anyway, Thor found none, but he did find a trail of destruction that led him to the demon Surtr, who has now captured Thor. Thor reveals to Surtur that he's been having dreams of late, involving Asgard in flames and with Surtur at the center of it all. Surtur tells Thor that he is seeing Ragnarok, the prophecy which tells of the fall of Asgard, in which Surtur places his crown within the Eternal Flame within Odin's vault, and thus allowing him to grow to the size of a mountain and destroy Asgard. Surtur also informs Thor that Odin is not currently on Asgard, and that it has fallen into a state of chaos in Thor's absence. Now that Thor has gotten Surtur to spill the beans about what's going on, he calls for Mjolnir and frees himself, fighting off a horde of Surtur's minions and defeating Surtur himself, removing his crown. With more minions on the way, as well as a massive dragon, Thor calls out to Heimdall to Bifrost him away. Unbeknownst to Thor, Heimdall has been replaced by Scourge as Keeper of the Bifrost, and right now scourge is busy entertaining some lady friends and not paying attention to thor's call for help
1: i pulled them out of a place on midgard called texas
0: <laughs> texas it sounds it sounds more, it sounds more like H. texas
1: i love the incorrect pronunciation i love that he couldn't even go with like tejas like he's, he's
0: deliberately incorrectly pronouncing texas with an australian accent
1: i just thought it was funny As i thought it was funny too
0: Des and Troy, Thor flies away from the dragon and stays out of its reach just long enough for Scourge to finally notice him and bring him home. Chris Hemsworth wanted to do more comedy, and he certainly gets his wish with this movie. Lots of great one-liners, I gotta give him that. I thought my father killed you, like, half a million years ago. You have made a grave mistake, son. I make grave mistakes all the time. Also, the bit with the dragon's head being cut off by the Bifrost and spraying the two girls and everyone there with, you know, the brains and the gore, that cracks me up every single time I watch it. I laugh out loud, bust a gut funny every time I see that. I usually rewind it a couple times and watch it a few times over. I just think that's really funny. I think it's the funniest scene in the whole damn movie.
1: My favorite bit from this scene is when he's wrapped up in the chains and he's slowly rotating around and he's like wait hang on i'll come back around shortly
0: i mean that's like another one of the things that just kind of just kind of thought was too silly but again i have the feeling that's just personal preference and you know 80 percent of the people who watch this movie like that stuff scourge informs thor that odin charged heimdall with negligence of duty but that he disappeared before his trial thor flies over to the palace which now has a massive statue of loki outside of it and witnesses what appears to be Odin being fed grapes by various female attendants, while watching a pantomime about the death of Loki, which of course we appeared to see in Thor The Dark World. Thor exposes Loki, who's been posing as Odin these last two years, and drags him to Earth with him to show him where Odin is. He left him at a retirement home in New York City, but the home has since been torn down, and Loki does not know where he currently is. Suddenly, A portal opens up in the sidewalk and swallows Loki, leaving behind a calling card with an address. 177A Bleecker Street, the Sanctum Sanctorum of Dr. Stephen Strange.
1: Uh, spoilers ahead, I guess. Um, So the ancient one is dead, right? We know that. And Strange is, I guess, in charge at this point. Do we think... That he might know something about the TVA and Loki's multivariant self. Like, I must be reading too much into this, and I know I should let this go. I know. I know. But I just want to resolve all of my beyond space and time stories. That's all I want to do. I know that I'm just, like, retconning the MCU at this point. But I just want to know, if the TVA is upset with Loki, and Doctor Strange is upset with Loki, do they know each other? Or are these two separate time-controlling groups that both dislike the same person?
0: This is like the second episode in a row that you've asked about the TVA. I mean, I know you like the Loki show, but I don't know if Doctor Strange knows about the TVA or knows someone in it. Remember the title of our last show, Beyond Time and Space is a big place.
1: I have these same problems with the Grandmaster and Sakaar later in the movie. I'm not going to talk about it because I know I'm beating a dead horse at this point. But it's like Sakaar's like a junk planet at the end of the world. Okay. Where's the end? Where's, what's, I have so many questions and I can't accept that like, oh, it's just comic books. That's just how things are. Things change. I don't want to. I just want to know.
0: Well, you're very inquisitive. That's a good thing. Although I can see how it would frustrate you. Loki's presence on Earth caught Strange's attention, which is not unusual given Loki tried to take over the Earth the last time he was there. Thor informs him that they're looking for their father and that they intend to return to Asgard as soon as they have located him. Strange tells Thor that he knew his dad was on Earth all along, but that Odin insisted he not inform Thor, as he had decided to remain in exile on Earth.
1: Two more peak comedy moments for me, of which there are many in this movie of course, is after all of the sort of rude and dismissive behavior from Strange, Thor pays him back in kind by destroying many things with his umbrella. Like that's how it came across to me, that he noticed that Strange was being a jerk, and dismissive and not wanting to listen to him and thinking that he's just a big oaf and then to be like oh yeah I'm just waiting I don't I don't know it's my umbrella is doing that I had no idea that's how I read it
0: (laughs) all right yeah I can kind of see that I like that
1: and also the whole Loki like I've been falling for 30 minutes yeah always gets me
0: I, I do like that I do like the I've been falling for 30 minutes gag that was pretty funny Strange portals Thor and Loki to Norway, where Odin is preparing to meet his end. He tells his sons that, despite Thor having dispatched Surtur, Ragnarok is coming, in the form of Hela, the goddess of death, and Thor's older sister. Odin says her destructive appetites grew too strong for him to control, so he imprisoned her away from Asgard, from which she draws her power. With Odin gone, she will be released, and she will be nigh unstoppable. It will be up to Thor and Loki to deal with her without his help. And with that, Odin transforms into wisps of light that rise up into the sky. Yeah, I think it's a shame that Anthony Hopkins doesn't get a longer finale in the MCU because for no other reason, it's freaking Anthony Hopkins. His swan song here is so abrupt. It's like Thor and Loki show up and he's like, sorry, boys, I gotta go. By the way, your sister, the goddess of death, is coming to destroy everything. Good luck with that. Bye. (laughs) One thing of interest in this scene, though, notice the pained look on Loki's face. Even after all he's done and all he's been through and after Odin was such a kind of a crappy dad to him, Loki seems genuinely moved by Odin's passing.
1: It does fit Odin's behavior, though. You know, like, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned in the past the sarcastic fanfiction tag of Odin's A-plus parenting. Yep. Like, he's a terrible father, and I would imagine that's how a terrible father with magical, god-like powers would leave the stage.
0: Moments later, Hela arrives, released from her prison by Odin's passing. Thor hurls Mjolnir at her, but she catches it easily, and then destroys it. Loki calls to be yanked away, but Hela follows them into the Bifrost, where they fight in transit. Loki and Thor are thrown from the Bifrost out into space while Hela proceeds to Asgard. She is met by Scourge, Fandrel, and Volstagg, who are manning the Bifrost terminal. She kills Volstagg and Fandrel, and recruits Scourge, who was reduced to mopping up after his negligence at the beginning of the film, to be her executioner. So as I alluded to at the beginning of the show, I will never forgive the writers for killing off the Warriors 3 in such a quick, unheroic, and haphazard manner. At this point, you know, Hogan is still alive, but spoiler alert, not for much longer. This perhaps more than anything else is what keeps this movie ranked as low as it is, you know, in my rankings. I know they don't have a lot of screen time in these movies, but I still love them. And I think it was a travesty to make them suffer such pointless deaths so early
1: in the film. I know that you're bothered that I don't really care much about this part, but I'm gonna talk about (laughs) Hella. I'll tell you though, if this movie had come out when I was like 13 and obsessed with gothic, witchy, vampire horror vibes, you know, not that I'm not into that stuff now, but every interest is way more aggressive when you're 13, Hella would have been, like, my favorite character ever. Completely unhinged character who's got cool weapons, an excellent wardrobe, and a side part with aggressively dyed black hair. Count teenage Emily from 2003 to 2006 all the way in.
0: Despite the fact that I never had and never will have a gothic witchy vampire thing, for lack of a better word. I like Kate Blanchett as Hela, too. I very much admire her appearance in this film, let's put it that way.
1: You're watching the movie for the plot, as we would say. I'm watch-
0: Yes, I'm watching the movie for the plot. Thor lands on the planet Sakaar, a world covered in trash and surrounded by wormholes. He's about to be taken by scavengers when he is seemingly rescued by a formidable, but obviously very drunk, woman called scrapper 142 but she liberates him only to subdue him herself with an obedience disc
1: this planet always makes me think of wally like all those and all those scavengers remind me of the they have the same vibe as a lot of those auxiliary characters on the desert planet in star wars
0: oh you mean like the uh oh yeah like all the other inhabitants on like Tatooine and desert
1: scavenger types
0: or Tatooine or whatever that stupid desert planet in the new movies was called what
1: is it wait no what is it jakku also also valkyrie
0: yes but
1: we don't know that yet i know we're getting there
0: on asgard hella is greeted at the palace by the entire asgardian military led by hogan after declaring her intention to turn asgard into a world of conquerors and restore its rightful place in the universe she kills hogan and slays all of the soldiers sent to stop her meanwhile a cloaked figure sneaks into the Bifrost Terminal and steals the sword that controls it. Well, at least Hogan got to put up a bit of a fight before he was skewered. Maybe that was to make up for his virtual absence in the Dark World.
1: Do you think Odin ever saw Hela in Loki? Like, the grand villainous declarations, the horns, the same color scheme. I wonder if Odin realized he was just always bound to have an air that was just like that? You know, like destiny?
0: Destiny or self-fulfilling prophecy? i don't know are they one and the same thor awakens and discovers he's been sold to the grandmaster the ruler of Sakar, to be a gladiator in the grandmaster's contest of champions if he defeats the grandmaster's champion he wins his freedom as he is being presented to the grandmaster he encounters loki who apparently arrived several weeks earlier and has been ingratiating himself with the grandmaster and his court as such he denies knowing thor so as to protect his status as a friend of the Grandmaster. Jeff Goldblum is just so Jeff Goldblum in this role. We often talk about actors who only know how to play themselves. You know, I'm thinking like George Clooney, Woody Allen, maybe Tom Cruise. And it's often said in a pejorative manner. In this case, though, I think it really works. (laughs) The Grandmaster is like an evil hedonistic version of Goldblum's characters from Jurassic Park and Independence Day. And of course, this scene is where we are introduced to Korg and Meek, the former being motion captured and voiced by Taika Waititi himself. He's big and made of rocks, but very soft-spoken, which I thought was a, a very creative choice by Taika.
1: I find Korg a little annoying, and I can't quite put my finger on why, but I do love Taika, so I'll allow it.
0: Of course you find Korg annoying.
1: I said just a little annoying, not like big annoying, just like a small one. Okay.
0: With all of Asgard's defenders seemingly slain by her, Hela and Scourge enter the palace. She tells him that she was Odin's weapon in the various conquests that built the Nine Realms and the Asgardian Empire, but that Odin banished her once her ambitions outgrew his. Using the Eternal Flame from Odin's vault, Hela resurrects her giant wolf Fenris, as well as all of the dead Asgardian soldiers who fought alongside her all those eons ago. (laughs) Wow. Loki visits Thor in his cell on Sakaar. They spar verbally for a bit. Loki gets in a dig about how much it must suck to be lied to, and Thor points out all the trouble Loki has caused since he faked his death. Loki urges Thor to hang tight while he continues to ingratiate himself with the Grandmaster, in the hopes of one day leveraging that into a chance for Loki and Thor to either escape, or better yet, take over Sakaar. What's interesting about this scene is how different Thor's reaction to Loki is this time around. For the first time, he isn't screaming his head off and laying into him. In fact, it actually irks Loki that Thor won't say anything to him at first. It's like Thor has learned after all this time that responding to Loki won't do anybody any good. What do you want me to say? It's like he realizes he's better off saving his energy you know, for getting off Sakaar and defeating Hela back home, rather than arguing with his brother.
1: This almost tempted me to go back and rewatch the scene of Loki and Thor talking when Loki was in his cell on Asgard in Thor The Dark World. But we all know how I feel about that movie, so you can imagine that it didn't happen.
0: As Thor prepares to fight the Grandmaster's champion in the arena... He sees Scrapper 142 drinking in a bar that, for some reason, is positioned near the gladiator staging area. Korg tells Thor that she's Asgardian. Thor takes a good look at her and notices a tattoo on her forearm, identifying her as a Valkyrie, Asgard's legendary elite force of women warriors. Thor approaches her and tells her that Asgard is in danger. She rebuffs him as he is dragged off to fight in the arena, after a quick haircut by Stan Lee.
1: I need a scene of Thor. I love women, not in a creepy way. Odinson trying to talk to a or anyone from the Dormilaje.
0: Well, you know, he was just—he was just trying to, you know. Okay, he was. I'm not making excuses for him, but I—I
1: I just imagine how that would go down.
0: <laughs> oh, it won't go down well at all. No. Yeah. I've never seen a human female take down an Asgardian, but I—I I, that would probably be—that would probably be a first. For for everything, there is a first time. Thor, or Lord of Thunder as the Grandmaster refers to him, heads out into the arena to face the Grandmaster's champion, who turns out to be none other than the Hulk. Despite Thor's initial joy and relief at being reunited with him after his disappearance right after the Battle of Sokovia, Hulk is in no mood to talk. They're no banner, only Hulk! Thor tries desperately to talk him down, but Hulk attacks him and begins to pummel him
1: into the Stone Age. My favorite part of this is like... I don't think Thor is stupid at all. So he knows exactly what he's doing when he calls out Loki before the fight. He's like, Loki, Loki's here too. Loki, look who it is. And Loki's sitting next to the Grandmaster the whole time like, no, 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 no,
0: no, no. Yeah, he's kind of got that, like, I have to get out of here right now, I am so dead.
1: Thor isn't doing that just because he's like, oh, Loki would enjoy this. Like he knows full well what Banner did, what Hulk. What Hulk did to Loki back in the first Avengers movie, like he knows that Hulk doesn't like him.
0: I love how Thor tries to do Natasha Romanoff's lullaby. <laughs> Instead of de-hulking, Hulk grabs Thor and just starts to ragdoll him like he did to Loki in Avengers. You know, it's kind of like you have you know one homage morphing into another. And he keeps doing it later on. The sun's going down, the sun's going down. I did like that gag. I don't know why, but I thought that was kind of funny. The sun's going down, the sun's going down. If I didn't know any better, I'd swear Tycho were like mocking that.
1: It is pretty stupid. So, I mean, I don't like the whole Banner and Natasha thing. So,
0: realizing he can't talk Hulk down, Thor stops pulling his punches and fights back, putting a pretty serious beat down on Hulk much to the shock of the Grandmaster and everyone else in the audience. But Hulk recoups and is ready to kill Thor when Thor, somehow, manages to summon lightning without the aid of his hammer, and regains the upper hand in the fight. As Thor's victory seems almost certain, the Grandmaster, not wanting to see his champion defeated, activates Thor's obedience disc, incapacitating him and allowing Hulk to land a finishing blow.
1: I just want to put this in. I love Thor's electric eyes. Like, that's my favorite thing when anybody has a special power. Like, if it changes your eyes, that always looks cool.
0: How come I never knew this? I don't know. All the time I've known you, your connection to superhero movies, I never realized you were uh, uh, you were an eye person.
1: I think it's super cool. My other favorite is when someone's possessed and their eyes turn black. What's that terrible movie that Sebastian Stan was in? The Covenant? Have you ever seen The Covenant?
0: No, I. First of all, I'm shocked that you. I'm shocked that you would put the words "terrible movie" and Sebastian Stan in oh, the same he sentence. Would
1: ag- he would agree. But it's called The Covenant, and Sebastian Stan is part of this evil witch coven, and his eyes turn black when he uses the power because they're evil, and it's the best part of the movie. The rest of the movie kind of sucks, but that part's pretty good.
0: Yeah, but you watched that movie for the plot, right? For the
1: plot, most okay. definitely. Gotcha. The plot's great. It, everything else is just terrible.
0: On Asgard. Hela and her army are ready to set out and force the Nine Realms into submission when they discover that the sword that controls the Bifrost is missing. In response, they start rounding up the Asgardians who have yet to fall in line. We then see a group of Asgardians fleeing Hela's undead soldiers. They run into the cloaked figure who stole the Bifrost sword. It is Heimdall. After slaying their pursuers, Heimdall leads the fugitives to a sanctuary where hundreds of Asgardians are hiding.
1: Is there any lore to how big Asgard is? Like, is it just this one city on a whole planet? I mean, it can't be more than a couple thousand people at most, I imagine.
0: Well, yeah, it is kind of like one big city on a floating thing with some, you know, surrounding countryside and so forth. One source I, I consulted after I read your question says that it's, it's roughly the size of the U.S. So this is
1: happening it. in, like, California? It doesn't.
0: It doesn't doesn't orbit anything or, you know, there's nothing orbiting it. It's just out there and it's the size of this country. I think then I just, if I didn't
1: live in the main city, I just wouldn't be bothered then. I'd be like, oh, that's so far away. What? Oh, Hell is back? Oh, okay. That's like three time zones away at least.
0: Thor regains consciousness in Hulk's massive quarters.
1: Hello, gratuitous images of shirtless Chris Hemsworth. Thank you, Taiko Waititi.
0: I think Chris Hemsworth is like contractually obligated to have at least one shirtless scene in almost every Marvel movie he's in, or at least all the solo Thor movies. I approve. I know several people, mostly of the female persuasion, who would approve. Who do approve. Thor asks Hulk how he got to Sakaar. Hulk responds that he arrived by Quinjet, and he points out the window to a Quinjet parked amidst one of the junk piles outside the Grandmaster's palace. Before he goes to it, he reaches out with his thoughts and and tries to reach Heimdall. Heimdall responds that he can hear Thor, but not see him. He is, however, able to briefly bring Thor's mind to Asgard with him, so he can witness what has been happening. With Hela deriving her powers from Asgard itself, she is only growing stronger. He tells Thor that he's needed back home urgently. Thor tells him he doesn't know how to get home, what with all the doorways surrounding Sakkar Heimdall tells him to go through the Big One before releasing his connection with him. Heimdall's increasing participation in these films is kind of neat. In Thor, he was a passive observer. Here, he's actively trying to save Asgard and its people. And as we all know, Idris Elba makes anything he's in cool.
1: And he's got the necessary cool special eyes.
0: With Hulk's help, Thor is able to lure Valkyrie, I'm just going to start calling her that now, into Hulk's quarters long enough for him to talk to her. He tells her that Odin is dead and that Hela has returned to conquer the Nine Realms. She tells Thor that her unit was sent out by Odin to stop Hela initially, and that the rest of them were slaughtered. And as such, she has no intention of taking on Hela again, nor does she wish to get caught up in another Odin family drama. Thor steals the obedience disc controller from Valkyrie, and removes the disc on his neck before escaping the palace. While I do like the juvenile nature of the playground insults that Hulk and Thor use against each other in this scene, I really like the moment immediately afterwards with Thor apologizing to Hulk, and Hulk talking about how he's angry all the time. There's something very novel about the two strongest Avengers, the ones capable of inflicting the most physical damage and destruction, having this really quiet, thoughtful kind of moment together. I think it's, it's, it's really brief, but really effective. Thor goes to the Quinjet and tries to fire it up, but Hulk follows him and is inadvertently causing additional damage to the craft. The recording of Natasha Romanoff's final transmission to Hulk at the end of Age of Ultron comes up on the screen, causing Hulk to transform back into Bruce Banner for the first time in two years. I absolutely love the production design on this film. Especially all of the Sakaar stuff, from the colors to the building designs to the costumes. I mean, it really does look like a Jack Kirby comic book come to life. And all the little circles and dots, that's total Kirby. Uh, I like to think he would have been proud to see this had he lived long enough to see it. The Grandmaster orders Loki and Valkyrie to find Hulk and Thor or be executed. The two get into a brief knife fight with each other, during which Loki forces Valkyrie to relive the slaughter of the rest of her team by Hela. She then overpowers Loki and takes him captive.
1: Loki definitely deserved to get Smackdown for that, but that's a really cool power. I really liked that
0: have they ever have they established that he can do something like that or is it just sort of a general loki messing with your loki magic thing loki magic thing okay thor tries to call banner who is feeling quite anxious being stranded on an alien planet after having spent two years as the hulk the sun is going down the sun is going down and convinces him to reluctantly help him get to asgard to stop hella banner warns thor that if he transforms into the hulk again he might not be able to transform back. Valkyrie finds them both and takes them back to her apartment, where she has Loki tied up. She's had a change of heart and now wants to help Thor. Realizing that he's probably lost favor with the Grandmaster, Loki also offers to help by getting them a ship in exchange for safe passage off of Sakaar with them. The plan is to draw the guards away from the Grandmaster's hangar, long enough for them to steal a ship powerful enough to allow them to pass through what is lovingly dubbed The Devil's Anus, a massive wormhole that will probably destroy most of what passes through it, but will also take them directly to Asgard if they're fortunate enough to survive. You're just using me to get to the Hulk. That's gross. You don't care. You're not my friend. (laughs) I think the only thing more original than teaming up Thor with Hulk is teaming up Thor with Banner. You know, they don't really interact with each other that much during the two Avengers movies thus far, and they are two wildly different personalities. Putting them together in this insane crucible and forcing them to help each other I think is kind of genius. And Hemsworth and Ruffalo play off each other really well, I think.
1: Banner is useful. Is he though? Is, is he though? The creation of a nearly perfect meme.
0: Yeah, I will agree. And that is one that is a funny moment in the movie that I really do like.
1: Is he though? I it's love just, that meme. I love how it's changed. To the, Is it though? Are they though? Is she though?
0: It's changed. It has forever changed the face of text messaging and social media posting. The group disarms all of the obedience chips in the gladiator prison and arms the enslaved gladiators and springs them loose, including Thor's newfound friends Korg and Meek, who start a revolution. Loki gets himself and Thor into the hangar to steal a ship, but Loki attempts to betray Thor once again. But Thor has anticipated this, and incapacitates Loki with an obedience disc. The conversation in the elevator just before the now infamous get help gag, which I I do very much enjoy, I think get help is really funny, is kind of significant, because it seems to signal that Thor has finally accepted that Loki simply is who he is. Maybe it's not worth him getting mad about it all the time, like he usually does. He even agrees with Loki's assessment that he should stay on Sakaar, because it's a totally chaotic and lawless place that would agree with Loki in many ways. I mean, even Loki himself is kind of astonished that Thor has reached this epiphany, and he even seems... He seems almost disappointed that Thor has accepted that their paths diverged a long time ago. And I think that's a significant amount of growth for Thor. So is the fact that he's finally able to thwart an attempt of Loki's to betray him after all this time.
1: I mean, again, I think this is another point that in sort of comparing this movie to the other Thor movies that makes this movie better is that you finally truly do get to see that Thor isn't a total doofus. Like, he's clearly a capable fighter, and I don't think you get to be that way without having a capable mind as well.
0: And in general, I agree. One of Taika Waititi's main goals for the film, he has stated uh, before, was to make Thor actually be the focus of his own movie for once, you know, and not, not Loki. Because, you know, those first two movies, Loki always sort of somehow managed to, to steal the spotlight. And yet, I think he succeeds in that respect in this film, finally bringing Thor to the front of a Thor movie. Thor steals the Grandmaster's pleasure craft and is joined shortly thereafter by Banner and Valkyrie, all of whom have to fight off pursuit by the Grandmaster's minions. They do so successfully before flying into the Devil's Anus. Meanwhile, Korg and Meek inadvertently come upon Loki in the hangar and free him from the obedience disc. Together, they steal a larger ship of the Grandmaster's. On Asgard, Hela has discovered the whereabouts of the Bifrost Sword and is ready to start tearing down the sanctuary where Heimdall's refugees are, when she is interrupted by Thor, who has broken into the throne room. They fight. In the course of that fight, Thor loses his right eye. Heimdall leads the refugees to the Rainbow Bridge, but they are cut off from the Bifrost by Fenris.
1: Just a good dog doing his job.
0: <laughs> He's
1: doing what his person tells him to do. He's a good boy. <laughs> he's a good boy
0: good giant asgardian wolf good giant asgardian just the wolf
1: dog. just doing his job also how many times has asgard had to rebuild the rainbow bridge now it's like every movie the bridge gets destroyed this can't be easy material to get
0: well i guess the good news is they won't have to rebuild it after this one well yeah because there's no more asgard
1: <laughs> after this Shh! spoiler alert yeah, well, we already know what ragnarok's supposed to do
0: i know i know i'm just being silly Banner and Valkyrie, now in her Valkyrie uniform, arrive in the Grandmaster's ship and attack Fenris from above. Heimdall turns the refugees around, but they are blocked by Hela's undead army led by a reluctant scourge. Banner and Valkyrie are unable to subdue Fenris with the ship's weapons, so Banner reluctantly turns into the Hulk to fight Fenris. Loki, Korg, Meek, and the other Sakaar escapees arrive in the Grandmaster's large ship to fight off Hela's army and to transport the Asgardians to safety. Hela is about to finish off Thor, when he has a vision of his father one last time. Odin tells him that the hammer was a device to help Thor focus and control his power, but that it was never the source of it. He also reminds Thor that Asgard is not a place, it is a people, and wherever they happen to be at any given time, that is where Asgard is. Thor tells Odin that he's not as strong as his father, to which Odin replies that Thor is stronger.
1: At least Odin turned it around here, at the end, past the end, technically. Says the appropriate things he should say as the king and as Thor's dad, so maybe he's not totally useless when it counts.
0: No, he's not. It's it's just that it took him dying in order to bring him around. Back in reality, Thor summons a massive lightning blast that temporarily incapacitates Hela. While she is out, he uses his power to fight the army on the bridge alongside the other Asgardians, Heimdall, Loki, Valkyrie, and Hulk. It becomes apparent to Thor that with Hela drawing her power from Asgard itself, only Ragnarok can stop her. Needing to buy time for the refugees to board the ship, Thor and Valkyrie engage Hela on the bridge, while Loki uses the smaller ship to fly back to the palace. Hela's army attempts to prevent the large ship carrying the refugees from escaping, but Scourge, realizing what a coward he's been all along, sacrifices himself so that the ship can escape. Loki puts Surtur's crown into the Eternal Flame, thus recalling him. While down in the vault, we see Loki eye the Tesseract. Hint, hint. Surtur emerges from the palace and begins destroying Asgard. Hulk grabs Thor and Valkyrie and leaps with them aboard the fleeing refugee ship.
1: I know this is a serious moment, but that little argument about Hulk not being allowed to smash is funny. But big monster. Not
0: this time. I did enjoy that one too. I thought that was a big monster. He kind of walks away like, oh.
1: He's like, I don't understand the logic here. You guys are always asking me to smash, but not this time.
0: Ragnarok is fulfilled as Surtur destroys Asgard, killing Hela. The refugees on the ship can only look on in horror and despair.
1: I'd watch a season of Loki where he steals the Tesseract here and becomes another variant.
0: I'd watch it if it didn't suck after the second episode.
1: Hey, hush, you.
0: <laughs> Thor, now sporting an eye patch, appears before the Asgardian people on the bridge of the ship as their rightful king. He decides to set a course for Earth. This movie has what might be my favorite ending credits of any film in the MCU. I love the graphics representing the action of the film, and I love the re-presentation of the Jack Kirby-esque colors and designs, and of course, that awesome 80s-style version of Mark Mothersbaugh's theme music from the film. For those of you who don't know, Mark Mothersbaugh was the co-founder, lead singer, and keyboardist for the legendary new wave band Devo, and this music is like a love letter to his time in Devo. And as a member of Gen X and a lover of 80s music, this makes me... Quite happy. In a mid-credit sequence, Loki voices his concerns to Thor about returning to Earth, but they are interrupted by the arrival of a massive ship.
1: Things are about to get really rough over here.
0: In a post-credit sequence, the overthrown Grandmaster confronts his former subjects and congratulates them, calling it a tie. And there is your movie. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about characters and actors, starting with, once again, Chris Hemsworth. As Thor Chris Hemsworth delivers what I think is up to this point his best performance as Thor thus far yes he's very funny something which I understand a lot of folks really like but I also like that he gets to play Thor as a more mature thoughtful person in this film capable of being clever and occasionally thinking his way out of trouble instead of using brute force all the time. That's not to say I don't appreciate him being the warrior type, because I love that. And I've already said, I wish this film were more serious in tone, but Chris Hemsworth's charisma is undeniable. And that's certainly the case in this film.
1: I do think this is his best one. I remember I didn't want to see this movie because I was remembering how bad Thor The Dark World was. And I think I ended up watching this movie on a plane probably I would say like a year after it came out because I was like oh well I'm stuck in the plane I don't have anything else to do let me just watch Ragnarok and the whole time I was like this is great I love this version of Thor what have we been doing for two movies plus two shared movies of this sort of brute dumb bull in a china shop behavior when we could have had this like I thought this was a really good Thor I don't care about the comics, so, like, I don't understand where other people are coming from, but I thought this was the best one.
0: I've said before, my favorite Chris Hemsworth Thor performance is still Infinity War, and of course, that's going to be coming up very soon. I just sort of figured you would like the, you know, sad brooding Thor in Infinity War, which, strangely enough, I like. I... Of course, he's also kind of got, you know, vengeance on his mind. I like tortured Thor for some reason. I I I guess because
1: I haven't watched Infinity War in a while, I guess I could change my mind. But I like that he is sort of brooding and kind of sad in this movie too, but that there's still the humor because he hasn't totally lost everything yet. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously, Infinity War. Lots of people lose lots of things. Mm
0: -hmm. Tom Hiddleston as Loki. After three appearances as Loki, in which we see Tom Hiddleston constantly being kind of over the top in a delicious sort of way, admittedly. I rather like the fact that the filmmakers decided to employ him in a less is more manner this time around. I think it's a fantastic performance precisely because it's more subdued and nuanced than we're used to seeing from Loki. He's grappling with a lot of stuff. A lot of the same stuff that Thor is dealing with, such as the death of Odin, as I've already mentioned, has clearly affected him. But after everything he's been through, I think he really gives pause when Thor tells him that he could be so much more. And of course, we don't really see much of that come to fruition till the Loki series, but we do see the seeds of it planted here.
1: I just really like chaos. I feel like I should have something more substantial and... Thoughtful to say about Loki because I do really like Loki as a character. He's one of my favorites, but I just like the chaos. It's interesting because the Loki that we meet in the show is 2012 Loki and this is 2017 Loki, but it kind of feels like the maturity level is kind of the same. Like it feels like he did all of his growing in front of us. I don't know if I'm making any sense. 2012 variant Loki, I guess. Feels a lot more like this Loki, which is a Loki that I like, who is like pretty well aware that he is a brat and that people don't like him, but that he doesn't know any other way to be. And then also just like, you know, the chaos, chaos kicks in on him and you can't do anything about it sometimes. I call it the too much gene where you're like trying to control it and you're trying to control it. And then you're just like, I can't do it. It's the too much gene. It just kicks in on him
0: it's kind of an odd paradox because like on the one hand it's kind of like one of the themes that runs through Loki's life especially in that series is you know can he change nature versus nurture is this genetic is this genetic is he always sort of destined to be like this is this sort of an unmovable characteristic of his or can he change and in his attempt to try to prove that he can be better over the course of Loki's arc you know mostly going into the series you're also somehow simultaneously proving that some things are destined And by fate. This is the second week in a row we've gotten like super duper philosophical about stuff in the MCU. I think store psychology.
1: Certain things can change because like Loki obviously cares about Thor. And Loki, I don't think he wants Thor to die. I think we can talk more about that in Infinity War. I don't think I'm giving anything away there. I'm giving just confusing signals here of what may happen in Infinity War. But I think Loki does care about the people around him. You can see that when His mom dies, and you can obviously see that in Loki in the show, but I think this movie is a good example of how, even though he can change to some extent, the genes that are in him, the too much gene, the chaos gene that's always been there, just kicks in on him, and you can't do anything about that sometimes. Sometimes it's just there, Mm -hmm. and I like that. I really like Tom Hiddleston, but also, I like that he's not entirely a villain. I like that he's a bit more complex than that.
0: And we see him grow into that. He evolves into that. He becomes more complex and more complicated as the movies go along. Kate Blanchett as Hella, yes. Kate Blanchett does make a good-looking goth villain. She's quite the uh, quite the looker in that cat suit. But let's face it. I mean, I think she's got marvel villain written all over her and i don't necessarily mean that in a good way i think the character is pretty two-dimensional and kind of has all those hallmarks of being over the top evil don't get me wrong she does exactly what she's been asked to do and she does it very well but ultimately i don't really find hella all that interesting but she's kind of a stock marvel villain when all is said and done in my opinion
1: Oh, yeah, I don't think she's interesting at all. I think Thor is burdened with kind of stupid bad villains more so than the other people. Like, I think Iron Man and Thor of all of the sort of individual movies get the worst villains. But I just do really like her whole look. And she is just kind of like a girl version of Loki, but like purely evil. Like, when we talk about Mm alignments, like, she is just evil, evil. In her core and loki's just chaos fairy evil
0: she wouldn't mess around messing around with people she would just outright kill them
1: right yeah but I mean, she looks great if i could pull off that vibe the witchy evil with the horns and the cool suit and the hair i couldn't there's no way but so cool
0: i wonder what you would look like with like black hair it would be bad Interesting. Bad. As for Thor getting stuck with bad villains, all I can say is maybe I'm maybe I'm getting my hopes up here. But having read some of the source material, being rather fond of it, I really, really hope that we get something a little more substantial in Thor: Love and Thunder with Christian Bale playing Gore the God Butcher, because Gore the God Butcher is <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> talk about a talk about a villain. Who? Uh, and I love Christian Bale. That'll be something interesting to look forward to this summer. Maybe he will. Uh, Break the curse of crappy Thor villains. Idris Elba as Heimdall. He doesn't have much to do in this film, but it's Idris Elba, and he's cool, and he makes every film he's in cool.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster.
1: I think maybe another reason why this movie in particular makes the villain, like Hela, seem kind of weak is that there's so much going on. Like, I really like this movie. I have few problems with it because I think it's a fun little silly adventure. But it's almost kind of hard to tell who the villain is supposed to be because at first we have this big fire demon god from the beginning of the movie that I pretty much forgot about until it was time to go get his horns and bring him back with the flame. So there's that guy. Then there's Loki who's not a villain but could be a villain because he's who he is. <laughs> And then you have Hela, who is obviously a villain. And then you have the Grandmaster, who is also kind of like a chaotic, evil, brightly colored, (laughs) weird version of Loki. And in my head, he's always kind of a villain, too. But you don't really get to flesh out what he's doing, because the whole point is to get Thor back to Asgard and sort of create a reason why he wouldn't be able to go just straight back to Asgard and confront Hela. But isn't the Grandmaster also kind of supposed to be a villain in this situation? Because he's the one holding Thor captive and he's the one who's making them all fight to the death. And you see it where he goes from like having a fun, happy time to I'm going to kill you right now. I think there's just too much going on. And I think that's a fault of the movie in terms of the villain characters, because I would read this coded villain, I think.
0: I think Hela is, if you had to pick a primary villain of the film, is sort of nominally the villain in the film. The Grandmaster is less a villain and more just an obstacle. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I, as That's kind of how I see it. He doesn't threaten anything beyond the immediate lives of the characters. He has, you know, he's kind of a low-stakes villain. The only people being threatened by him, I mean, obviously the whole planet has been enslaved, but in terms of sort of the people we care about the most, it's just you know, Thor, maybe Valkyrie, maybe Hulk slash Banner, so yeah, I see him more of as an, as more of an obstacle than an actual villain per se.
1: But I think then maybe his existence, while I love it, like don't get me wrong, I really like Jeff Goldblum in the role of Grandmaster, mm-hmm. but. I think that complicates who the real target is because they spend more time dealing with the Grandmaster than they do with the actual villain with Hella.
0: Yeah, that is kind of an odd thing. I'm glad you pointed that out. They spent, I think they spend a lot more time on Sakar than they do dealing with Hella, which is kind of interesting. The Grandmaster may not be as menacing a villain as Hella, but at least, you know, at least he's a hell of a lot more entertaining, I think, thanks to Jeff Goldblum, Taika Waititi in um, encouraged Goldblum to improvise, and you know, in that way, he was able to kind of make the role truly his own. He's he's at he's at his heart, you know, pretty villainous, or at the very least, he's he's hedonistic to the point where he'll do anything just to enhance his own pleasure. I guess you could sort of call that a type of evil. At the same time, for all the villainy, he 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 talks with that very Jeff Goldblum ordinary guy on the street cadence. He interrupted me. That's not. That's not a melting offense, you know, and he delivers those lines in a way that only Jeff Goldblum can deliver them. You no, know, I I woke up this morning, you know, envisioning an execution, but for now we'll go for this. You know, you go after him and you go after him. And we'll who get him, who's going to get him first? Kind of thing. Just Jeff Goldblum improvising, and I think it's great. You do know that the Grandmaster is the brother of the Collector, don't you? Did you no, know that?
1: I didn't know that, but the more I think about it, the more I understand. They're very similar, yeah.
0: It, it, that's the case in the comics. It's not explicitly stated anywhere in the films, but Kevin Feige has said so, and so it's so it's canon. And he's actually said uh, in some interviews that he hopes that somehow the two of them would get together in a film one day, which I think would be really, really funny.
1: It's possible though that the first time I watched this movie, I thought, hmm, "Wait, collector," and then was like, "Oh, it's the Grandmaster," and I probably just ignored it and moved on.
0: They are brothers. Tessa Thompson as Scrapper142 slash Valkyrie.
1: I like her. I like Valkyrie.
0: I like Valkyrie too. I think Tessa Thompson is solid in this role. She does the the tough girl chip on her shoulder thing very effectively. She's a natural with all the action stuff. She got the accent down really well.
1: My favorite Valkyrie moment is actually in Endgame, so I will have to save it.
0: I think mine probably is too. I I like her in Endgame a lot. Carl Urban as Scourge. I like Carl Urban a lot, but he seems a bit wasted in this film because it doesn't have all that much to do. I know I'm supposed to feel moved by his turn and his sacrifice at the end of the film, but because they don't really establish the character all that well earlier on, the sacrifice doesn't really move me all that much. No comment from the peanut gallery, which is kind of amazing. Mark Ruffalo as Bruce... Wait, should
1: should I have something to say about it?
0: No, not not necessarily. I'm just...
1: There are sometimes characters I don't say anything about.
0: That's true. Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner slash the Hulk. I like Mark Ruffalo in this Marvel outing in particular because both Bruce and Hulk are played as fish out of water characters in a way. First, this is the most we've seen the Hulk remain the Hulk continuously, and it's fun to see him as a character just doing ordinary stuff like sitting on a bed talking to someone like we see him do in this movie. Similarly, when he turns back into Banner, it's for the first time in two years, and Bruce is clearly pretty messed up by this fact. And Ruffalo, I think, does a really good job playing that dazed and confused version of Banner.
1: I mean, I don't really like Hulk. <laughs> I guess that's evident by the fact that I don't like the Incredible Hulk movie, but that's a totally different character. Like, that's Edward Norton's Hulk. But, I don't know, the the big monosyllabic oaf kind of thing just doesn't work for me. Like, I've always preferred Banner over the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish there was a way, not the way they do it in Endgame, to, like, combine the two. I'm kind of thinking um, McCoy, in x-men
0: oh uh beast yeah Matt mccoy Yeah. like
1: i really liked hank mccoy and i liked beast and i liked the way they did that sort of in all of the iterations i thought it was nice and so i'm always just like wanting more from banner and from hulk and i think he probably gets shorts changed a lot because he doesn't have a solid base like everybody else but he's supposed to be this big main character is he going to be in she hulk or is that a completely different yes thing? yeah well
0: okay. well we know mark ruffalo is going to be in she hulk that's confirmed. Mark Ruffalo is definitely going to be in She-Hulk, which I I would certainly hope so. Jennifer Walters is his cousin and, you know, She-Hulk's origin story involves Bruce Banner giving her a blood transfusion if they stick to the comics at all. So, yeah, I would <laughs> he he needs to be in that show at least for one episode.
1: Cuz I I do really like Mark Ruffalo. I've seen him in a lot of other things, and I do really like him. I would like to see more better things out of Bruce Banner and the Hulk.
0: It'll be kind of interesting. I know we'll we'll see him in She-Hulk, but beyond that, I don't know. Spoiler alert, I wonder if that little tease at the end of Shang-Chi indicates that he's going to be in something besides She-Hulk, since he's kind of a legacy character who we know is, you know, still alive. Finally, Anthony Hopkins as Odin. Well, this is Anthony Hopkins' briefest outing as Odin. And as you alluded to earlier, it is kind of nice that we finally see him acting like a father, even if he's dead. Is I feel,
1: No, I feel like earlier I was going to try and make a joke about Odin's A-plus parenting and upgrade him, but the joke is that it's sarcastic. And so I was going to be like, okay, so he's like a C-plus parent in this one.
0: Uh, I don't know. Yeah, see, I'd I don't know get, if it lands, so get... I didn't write it down i will probably give him a B minus.
1: <laughs> no, I think if I were really grading him on a not sarcastic level, I would still give him like a C plus.
0: Even in this film?
1: For this film. I think For he this would film. Have failed all of the other times.
0: Okay. This is so he gets bringing a,
1: him back up.
0: He gets a passing grade this time around.
1: Right.
0: Even if just marginally
1: some C pluses they were hard-earned you gotta no, do what I, you gotta do
0: <laughs> I never I did I hope I didn't imply that there was anything wrong with a C plus there's not one would expect more from Odin no, then again maybe not I have to kind of you know I, I don't know my Thor comics as well as perhaps I should so I don't know maybe historically maybe historically if you know the character maybe we shouldn't be expecting too much from him I don't know all right this is the part of the podcast where we talk about other stuff most notably music
1: I really like Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin. That's pretty much all I have to add here. I think it was a great addition to the fight scenes, and if I ever need a playlist or something to pop me up, this is definitely on that list.
0: Okay, first of all, I must say, I'm a little shocked to hear you say that you like a classic rock song, a classic rock tune that isn't, I don't know, Elton John. I like Queen. Or Queen, okay. That's two. All right. Elton
1: John or Queen, two of the Elton biggest names in two. classic rock.
0: That's true. All right, all right. Granted, granted. We all know that you and I aren't allowed to like the same piece of music at all, so it's like I'm surprised that the space-time continuum hasn't come crashing in on itself. Yeah, Immigrant Song was part of the sizzle reel that Tyka put together when he was auditioning for the directorship of this film. It's an appropriate number to put in a, in a Thor film, and uh, yeah, I think is not the only person wondering why that wasn't done earlier. As I talked about earlier in the show, Mark Ball of Devo scored this film and I love it. Tycho was trying to make a sort of high budget version of the sci fi fantasy films of the early and mid 80s. And so Mark Mother's Ball is. I think the perfect person to score the film i really like his synthesizer work in this i thought it was kind of an interesting addition to the uh, mcu film score canon sadly he's not coming back to score thor love and thunder i think um i think michael giacchino who i also very much like is come is doing that one mark Mothersbaugh actually he got he got really bad covid in the end of 2020 he was very very sick so i don't know if that had anything to do with him not scoring uh love and thunder or not but uh i as far as i know he has i hope made a full recovery and there you have it our review of Thor Ragnarok up next as you know we're reviewing the MCU in the order in which the films take place it's our show so we get to decide what the proper chronological order is <laughs> isn't that right Emily we're, we're kind of in charge of this aren't we
1: yes we're in charge
0: we, we run we're pushing the buttons we're we're the God mode here so we have decided to be a little liberal in that regard So our next episode will be our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp, which takes place concurrently with the events of Avengers Infinity War. We thought we'd review Ant-Man first for a number of reasons. So that one will be coming up in about a month or so. But until then, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and we will be back with Ant-Man and the Wasp in just a few more weeks. Take care. Stay safe, be good to each other, and we'll see you around the bend. Take care, everybody.
1: Have a good
0: night. Since we were talking about the end credits, of course, you're going to have to cut this out because I don't want to get us slapped with a cease and desist letter. Oh, that's right. Everything's on mute, mm-hmm. so I can't play it. Darn it. All right. Well, never mind.
1: But I can imagine.
0: Or I'll... <laughs> you get ah. here. You, here, here. No 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 I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna play that I was gonna play the end credits music